Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Boris Johnson resigning. Nicola Sturgeon, arrested. Charles, coronated. Hard to believe it all happened this year. To help us digest events, I popped round to the private eye offices for a chat with its editor, Ian Hislop. In this conversation, he explains how we've sunk below the bottom of the barrel, disagrees with me over the monarchy, and discusses that private eye front page on Israel and Hamas. Enjoy. Am I tough enough? Strong and stable leadership. Total rhubarb. Hell yes, I'm tough enough. Shut the fridge. Not another one. It's the politics show. Cast. How are you? Um, yeah, good. Yeah. Glad to hear it. Yeah. Um, I like Christmas. I know most people don't, but I absolutely love it. So. I like it. Um, I like the family get-togethers. I like the alcohol, and I like it because it would appear to be the annual occasion on which we sit down for one of these conversations and ruminate about what's happened over the course of the year. Okay, so that's the best bit. Yeah, well, obviously. For your you, Christmas sure. present is me. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect Christmas present. Um, and the reason, obviously, for the conversation is because of the private eye annual, um, yes. which you're what holding like a fantastic QVC presenter. Yeah. Um, available from all good book purveyors and also... From private eye itself, can they? Yeah, and some bad book providers, I think, probably have got it in as well. Yeah, you can get it uh, uh, just about anywhere, so please do. Yeah, no, it's, um, I was thinking, uh, I mean, we tend to do this once a year, but events speeding up, we could probably, <laughs> yeah, no. we could probably accelerate it. Monthly, perhaps, I don't know. Um, but when we did do this interview last year, 2022, I asked you what the theme of the year was, and you said, quote, the bottom of the barrel. Yes. Well, it, we've gone lower. <laughs> What's beneath the barrel, do you think? No, I thought the theme of the year would be, it won't be that bad again. Um, the adults are back in the room. It's going to be calm. Mm. You know, we've got a new monarch. We've got a new prime minister. who, And, you know, the assumption being it couldn't possibly be worse than uh, Liz Truss or Boris Johnson. And then, and then he's having a go. He's, uh, he's making a good try, isn't he? He is. Yeah. You, can't, you can't fault him for effort. Um, <laughs> and I think that, that became, um, for me, the theme of the year, was just it didn't turn out the way I thought at all. Mm. Um, and also, I had no idea that we had a Prime Minister who can't do politics. 
I mean, not at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, whatever one's criticisms of the others, um, they'd been in politics a bit and knew a bit how some of it worked. Rishi Sunak, not a clue. I mean, literally. Pick a fight with uh, the Prime Minister of Greece. Yeah, that's a big vote winner. No. <laughs> no, it, it interests no one at all except people who are interested in, you know, the Parthenon. Mm. And uh, you lose them. I'm incredible, incredible ineptitude. I was going to... Well, let's just talk about it now. There's the, Within that scandal, you mentioned the monarch. King Charles then turns up at the COP conference yes. wearing a tie emblazoned with the Greek flag. Yes. And... I I had questions at the beginning of the year about what type of monarch Charles was going to be, whether yes. he was going to be interventionist, because he does have his own political positions, political positions we know about yes. in a way that perhaps we didn't with the late Queen. No. Do you do you foresee Charles being a more interventionist monarch? Do you see him getting into politics a bit more? Well, so far he seems to be doing mostly gags, which is fabulous, <laughs> which is a really good way of doing politics. Uh, <laughs> I mean, his delivery of, of the, the King's speech about... Um, we're going to go for more oil drilling, was incredibly funny. Mm. Um, uh, his face alone just said, I don't believe a word of this. Uh, I mean, we had him coming out, you know, with a banner saying, not my speech. Mm. And it was just really clear. And I think that level is quite funny. And we're <laughs> wearing a tie, which is quite clearly the Greek flag repeated endlessly, to meet your own prime minister after you've just um, had a fight with the Greek prime minister. I thought it was really funny. And the, the palace saying, oh, no, it's a, it's a very old tie. He's, he he's, time? he's worn this. Oh. And it's just, it's very pointed and it's funny. So I would say so far he's making quite a good fist of that. And it also fits into the point you were making about sort of plumbing new depths because with Johnson and the Queen, you sort of go, 2019, that's a constitutional crisis. The relationship between the Prime Minister and the monarch appears to be at an all-time low. And now they're getting close to being almost in open warfare with each other, right? Yeah. The last COP conference, wasn't it, that uh, Sunak said he couldn't go to, and now he's, now he's at this one making a show of him. Yes, and I mean, uh, um, historically, people always said, well, it was the, the Queen versus Mrs Thatcher over the Commonwealth. This is when um, they were at their most, you know, in terms of loggerheads. But this year, because Sunak is so unpopular, if you're the monarch, I mean, you'd have to work quite hard. <laughs> To pick an issue um, where you were less popular. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't think that's going to happen. And in terms of, you know, Time magazine, right, every year they stick their person of the year on the front cover. And I think this year Putin uh, and President Xi are up against Barbie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> who, for you, who's, who's your person of the year, do you think? Yeah, well, it's definitely not Barbie, obviously. <laughs> Oppenheimer. Yeah. yeah, more of an Oppenheimer guy, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, it's quite hard finding a person of the year this year, isn't it? Mm. Um, Maybe that's why Barbie's in the running. Everyone says, oh, when are we going to get a Mandela for the Middle East? And you're thinking, I don't know. Mm. Um, <laughs> when are we going to get a Mandela for anywhere? There is a, there's a slight um, dearth. Tony Blair offered himself, didn't he, for, to, to resolve the situation in the Middle East? He did, but he has, he has done it before. He was appointed, <laughs> was it once, twice? Yeah by everyone and, and I mean it is quite difficult to resolve I mean it's one of my favourite pieces of the year was King Solomon resigning saying yeah I'm quite wise but I haven't a clue how to do this <laughs> uh, yeah I mean Blair must think well if David Cameron can come back why can't I come back I could be foreign secretary We're getting the band back together again yeah Pete Mandelson they're all they're all hanging about <laughs> yeah we're kind of 
what do you think that speaks to? The fact that Cameron's back as Foreign Secretary, Blair, Mandelson back in with Keir Starmer as the Labour Party. Do you think there is a dearth of um, political creativity, political ideas in um, Britain? What do you think? What do you think is going on there? Well, I think a um, no one's got any better ideas, but also we both parties have done the thing which you know in British politics people always do. It goes wrong. If you're on the right, you say, "Well, we haven't been right wing enough," um, and if you're on the left, you say, "Well, we haven't been left wing enough." Uh, Whereas the population is shouting out, can you not be more extreme, either of you? Uh, so they suddenly think, oh, the centre. Now, who used to be in the centre? Oh, David Cameron, he was, he was in the centre. And was Blair? He was, oh, centre, centre, centre. And it moves back that way. And I just feel, oh, God, we've lost all this time mm. with you telling us how pure your views are and us as the electorate, but not obviously not effectively enough, saying, can... Can we not have any more of your very pure views? Can we have something that works? From a philosophical point of view, do you think that there has to be a degree of opposition or friction, certainly in a, you know, a two-party system like the one that we have, where if the only two real vehicles for electoral success coalesce around you yeah. know, an Overton window where there is a high degree of consensus and not a great degree of opposition, what do you think the consequences of that are for our democracy? Because I'm inclined to look at 2019 where you kind of have chaotic socialism with Corbyn, chaotic Brexitism with Johnson and go, well, they're two very different things. At least the offer to the electorate is clear. You know, you're going to have yeah. one or the other. Yeah. And then... My view would be, can we have neither? Um, which, again, is probably... What about no of, chaos? Yeah, and, and less chaos. And also, I mean, you know, we, we had that um, attempt to have AV previously, mm. but I'm, I'm all for having another go at it. And I do think the only coalition we've had recently in British politics, was not a bad example of how a coalition can work. Mm. Um, and so I don't have a horror of, of changing that. So you get... And coalitions tend to produce more centrist politics. I mean, we know that. Mm. Um, because, uh, apart from it in Israel... <laughs> uh, but, yes, all right, my own argument, total rubbish. Uh, but I just... I do get the feeling that when you get... Um, you, you talk about people believing the same thing. There's almost no one now who thinks that um, the railways wouldn't be better run um, if they were re-nationalised. Mm. And essentially it's happening by stealth. So some of the... When the, the franchises come up, no-one wants to run them. The government run them. And most of those have done really well <laughs> in the last year and have put money back into the Exchequer. So mm. at every point there is a, a feeling that on both sides, but you know, both on Starmer and, and what's left of the Tory party, their options for what will work become more limited. Mm. Um, and I think, personally, I'd like to see things that work. I, I think that's quite a compelling political <laughs> slogan. Not it's about... not very ideological and it's not very exciting. Things will work from front yeah. cover of the manifesto. Um, Let's well, pick up that on... is the, the Labour manifesto, isn't it? it, it it's um, the competence. It, it, it won't be worse. Yes. <laughs> to change. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So let's pick up on what you said there. What's left? What's left of the Tory Party? Yes. What do you think happens to the Conservative? You know, if again, political predictions can be a mug's game, but it certainly would appear that they're going to lose the next election quite badly. Yeah. What happens to them? Do you think after that? Well, there is the Canada option. Mm. Um, which when the Canadian Conservative party went down to, what, two seats? That would be quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
that that would be quite amusing. This is back to politics as gags, right? Yeah, Rob? yeah, no, no, no. I mean, it, I mean, it can be funny and and pleasurable. Um, and now I think it is extraordinary. They've had what three or four resets in the last. <laughs> I was going to say week, but mm. in the last you know um, three months or so, and no one's buying any of it. And uh, again, the political pundits—they all say, "Oh, Keir Starmer. I mean, he's 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 messed up now. I'm not calling for a ceasefire." Um, and then, you know, there was a ceasefire, mm. <laughs> and so that issue slightly went away. And the poll ratings—nothing, yeah. just nothing. Can't touch um, it. Uh, and I, you know, I think he's getting very cocky. I mean, I'm, he was out there saying, "Yeah, I like Mrs. Thatcher." You think, well, what's coming next? Enoch. Well, he had a few points, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you just think, will that dent his ratings? No. I don't know. Yeah, I, I saw that and I was sort of thinking, you know, he's, he's, he's hoovered up so much of the vote now. He's, he's, he's attacking Sunak from every single angle. He's gone, do you know what? I'm now going to attack you from the Thatcherite right. I'm yeah. going to take that as well. Yeah. Well, that, that's an extraordinary <laughs> development, isn't it? And uh, it suggests everyone saying, oh, he's so timid. It may be he's just massively overconfident. <laughs> Yeah, that's a possibility. How much of this sort of malaise with the Tory party yeah. boils down to the legacy of Boris Johnson? Do you think it's, do you think it's a, a just a 13 years fatigue broadly, you know, the cycle of government has come to its end and, and something new is going to happen? Um, I think there's, there's fatigue and then there was two very specific things. There was Covid, Partygate um, and however many times they all say uh, the public's over it, um, they're not interested anymore. They're really interested. You know, people are watching the inquiry yeah. and they're saying the inquiry is now confirming everything we thought at the time, which you denied. The chaos, the parties, the irresponsibility, the, um, the bodies pile up, the let them die, the mm. take it rip. All of this, which you said repeatedly in front of committees and in standing the you all said this wasn't happening oh oh yes that oh that was happening yes oh yes yes all that uh you know gove apologizes you know boris i don't know what he's going to say yet well i do i mean <laughs> didn't come up with a pack of lies and, and imagine we're going to, you know we're going to buy it but there's going to be some apologies now and some well you know it's all very easy with with um hindsight mm. but again it was all very easy at the time <laughs> you, you knew you were breaking the rules you broke them mm. um, and people are still cross about that um, and there's not I mean I would say there's not a week where someone doesn't say to me my grandmother my mother my relative died in a care home and I didn't get to see them or we had a funeral with five people at it or you know um, and Again, for politicians to imagine that, oh, everyone forgets that. No. They forget who you are. They forget what policy you said. They forget all the things you imagine they remember. They remember mm. the events of their own life that were compromised by your sort of arrogance and incompetence. Well, you mentioned, you mentioned Johnson at the inquiry today, right? He arrives three hours early because the COVID bereaved families are planning to arrive outside and, and picket and protest it, right? Yeah. If you can get hundreds of people to turn up at this thing, they very clearly still care about it. Yes. They very clearly still care about it. And I think your your point about the personal is is so relevant there. And, and probably in the context of this inquiry happening quite so soon, you know, Chilcot doesn't come out, was it 2016? I think it was, yeah. it was right around the Brexit referendum, right? So, you know, yeah. that basically gets buried anyway. Yeah. 
the, the evidence gathering for this happening in this public way, where you know the the Chancellor of the Exchequer at the time, who is now the Prime Minister, there's still very definite and precise connections, right? So you kind of get this spectacle almost of current politicians not having the the typical method of an inquiry, which is we'll kick it down the road, yeah. we'll all be out of office, it doesn't matter if we're found to have lied because we no longer have to adhere to the ministerial yeah. code, job done, blah, blah, blah. But the very that very British way of dealing with something, it's not quite the case here. And there actually looks like there might be a degree of accountability for, for their actions. And and the point of inquiries, I'm, it used to be you wait for the what will the inquiry say. Now, it's the evidence itself. Mm. Actually, what they come up with in the end will be, will it be useful? Will it prevent something else? Fine, that's all very technical. But the, the actual effect of the inquiry is, blimey, look at that. Mm. Look what's happening now. And uh, you're getting the current prime minister um, being called Dr. Death. <laughs> uh, and uh, um, his, um, you know, eat out to peg out, as the eye always called it, um, until a number of young people pointed out that peg doesn't mean quite the same yeah, now, which I, else, I don't. Yeah. So, anyway, we don't have to go there. Uh, <laughs> uh, but so uh, I think, again, you, you, you can't now say, well, it was all a long time ago. You literally thought, this is a terrible idea. You're telling the public who are all, you know, cowering at home um, because you'd said don't leave the house uh, to um, go to the pub and help the economy. And and the advice at the time, and it's great that Rishi Sunak now says um, uh, uh, we were advised all along. The advisors say, no, 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 you didn't ask us. So, again... Someone's not telling the truth there. Mm, I think possibly, you know, the chief scientific officer might be the one who is probably telling the truth. I don't, well, I don't know about you. It's very easy to, <laughs> to judge these things. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I, I, another interesting point out of this for me is the kind of... Oh, sorry, your question, which I answered at late. I just did Boris. You I said did. the two things that were different with a long period of one party in, you always get fatigued. But we had Partygate, mm. which I think is... Uh, absolutely infuriated people and burst, finally burst the Boris bubble. And Liz Truss, which is just A, in front of a live audience now, if you say Liz Truss, you get an enormous laugh. You don't have to do a joke. Uh, it's <laughs> she, all there. She is the punchline. She is the punchline. She's in everyone's the... head. It's wonderful shorthand. Um, <laughs> and if you're the opposition party, any opposition party, that's all you have to say. Mm. Um, and no one disputes it. Um, so you've got literally two of these enormous um, catastrophes. Mm. I mean, two of my favourite things in the annual. One is is uh, Boris appearing before a committee, um, defending himself for having a drink uh, with the nanny uh, when Carrie was going into hospital, and him saying that he kept his distance at all times, <laughs> and they were two metres away, him and the nanny, and he obeyed Carrie's mm. guidelines, which were do not... <laughs> <laughs> have a drink with the, the nanny while I'm in hospital. So that one still worked. And the other one was we did a thing about Liz Truss um, being the captain of the Titanic <laughs> and coming on afterwards and saying, um, there was nothing wrong with the course I set. Mm. It was just the speed. Straight for the iceberg in the middle <laughs> of the Atlantic is the way to go. It's just I was too fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Slow down. Take it slowly. And I just feel people, they're not going to forget that one. No. I don't think they will. I don't think they will. You're right. And uh, the point I was trying to make earlier, people saying, oh, we've, 
you know, the left saying, we've never been left enough. If, if only we were just allowed in and to make a mark. And the right saying, we've never had a chance to do it. Well, you did. You had a chance. You had the Prime Minister. And we watched. We watched student politics in real time. And for vast numbers of people in this country, they lost a shitload of money. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I don't think they liked it much. That's the thing. It's the, it's the, it's the personal. It's the... Um you know, let's, your pension pot is your house, or, or, you know, even if you haven't paid it off, your interest, ra- interest rates now have spiked to the extent where your mortgage has maybe increased by 50%, or um, your, your, your dad, your grandma, whoever, has a fall and has to wait 12 hours for an ambulance, you know? These are personal, traumatic things. Yes. That when politics is abstract and you're complaining about small boats or, I, d- I don't know, whatever the issue of the, issue of the day is, you know... Um, rack in schools that's actually a bad example because people have kids in schools that are falling down but basically as soon as it comes into your life and is direct to you yeah. you it's you've almost sort of made the gravest error of, of politics which is these people will always remember and never forgive yeah. for those and things. that is what politics is meant to be about i know you know those of us who are obsessed by it think it has a, a, a great grand and um, sort of <laughs> eloquent um superior purpose but in the end it's meant to people make people's lives better <laughs> or, or less bad, as we mm. now put it. That's what we settled this, for, yeah. <laughs> this new lowered expectation. And that happens. So, I mean, deciding to, say, address the problem of, of we've got this terrible concrete that falls apart in schools just before term starts, <laughs> maybe 10 years ago would have been a good time. Mm. Uh, and again, the Tories, and this is what I mean about being bad at politics, if you... adopt as your slogan, long-term solutions for a brighter future, uh, and then cancel a long-term infrastructure project, Um, try and address the fact that these schools are falling down. And you were told how many decades ago, oh, yes, this concrete stuff, oh, it's got about a 30-year life. Well, maybe towards the end of the 30-year life, you could look at that rather than the day before term starts. Just an idea. Uh, It's just a thought. Okay, um, so we we, took, we spoke a bit about Johnson there, and yeah. there's a you know there's a small matter as well of the you know the chairman of the BBC having to go. Um, yes, that was terrific. <laughs> uh, that, but the fact that he went was good. That was incredibly cheering. He actually he actually resigned, which you know something you rarely nowadays the, the sort of the done thing is you 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 announce that you're going to resign, mm. but you don't actually resign. No, you you wait for maybe I don't know months. So that the timing of the by-election coincides very neatly with the Conservative Party conference. That's generally the thing you do. Do you meet your constituents? No, you don't. Don't meet your constituents. Maybe you speak in Parliament. I don't think you speak in Parliament either. No. But you still haven't resigned. You're still doing your job. It's very yeah. important to note that. It's very important to note that. And it was, you know, rather than saying, oh, I've become a distraction, uh, which <laughs> is wonderful new. I mean, we never used to have this. So I've become a distraction. No, you're just guilty. <laughs> <laughs> We're not distracted. We're just looking at you thinking, yeah. Uh, anyway, he did go. And mm. again, by going, um, made it fairly clear that this was yet another. It was the fag end of Boris's uh, corruption, really. Mm. It's interesting, isn't it, to see the, the sort of um, that degradation of, of public standards or, or the idea that, like you said, someone could resign. They might go, I'm not, I'm not up to the job anymore, so, so I'm off. Or, you know, I've broken the ministerial code, so I, so I will leave. No, um, I will write a tell-all book with characters named after Bond villains. <laughs> 
and <laughs> and 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 then I'll resign when, yeah. I, when I decide. And and all because you won't put me in the House of Lords. I mean, am I? Looking it's at the, the nakedness and of the pettiness. Mm. I mean, Nadine Doris and Suella Braverman's exits were about as graceless as anything. I think in in modern politics, you thought Boris's exit was bad enough. Um, yeah, I mean that's when we ran that cover. You know uh, what happened to honour and modesty, and he says I never met any of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the the immediate attack by Suella, I've gone um, because you failed on a private deal. I mean it never occurred to her that the electorate. We didn't vote for you to have a private deal yeah. <laughs> in which your agenda secretly was the only one that mattered. I don't remember. Mm. Um, do you remember Rishi talking about transparency? That deal wasn't very transparent. Uh, so, I mean, that was pretty disgraceful. And Nadine Doris was just hysterical. Mm. You don't give me a post as an unelected peer, um, despite the fact that, you know, I don't turn up to my constituency, I haven't done anything. I want a free job for life. And if I don't get it, I'm going to scream. Mm. I mean, it was the, dismal. The logic of a toddler. Am the I... book is hysterically funny, by the way. I haven't read it yet. No, well, I mean, normal people won't <laughs> and haven't. Uh, but I have to say, for sheer lunacy, mm. there's this mysterious um, cabal of um, shadowy people who undermine every British Prime Minister um, and they're furiously against um, Brexit at one point and they're furiously pro at another and then they're furiously against the people they were furiously furious with. None of it makes any sense at all. It sounds possibly like the figments of someone's imagination. I think it may be. Fighting ghosts perhaps. And it's a love story. Um, <laughs> it's a rom-com. <laughs> it's a it's a sad rom-com because in the end it's disappointing. Um, but uh, no, I mean it is incredibly funny. And the Bond villains, again, I think it might be slightly a generational thing. Um, it's not it's not that clever, is it? Mm. Having people called Blofeld or <laughs> Doctor No? Is it one of them? Doctor, Doctor No. no. Yeah. yeah. Um, Again, you just think about the doctors <laughs> who are on strike rather yeah. than yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. the other doctors. I wonder if I'm... Am I thinking about the past in a slightly nostalgic way? Or with rose-tinted glasses, yeah, when I say, oh, the degradation of public life and, you know, standards, etc. Is it just a, a, a mirage to suggest that there used to be this thing called decency and that it's been attacked and corroded over time? I think it's easier to believe that... Um, uh, and, and probably more necessary to believe that when you're young. Hmm. Um, there, there are moments when you think, um, I mean, certainly at private eye, I think, well, ah, oh, this is really shocking. And then I think, ooh, 1960s, Poulsen. Ooh, that, that wasn't very good, was it? <laughs> and uh, Harold Wilson's um, resignation honours lists, that was pretty disgusting. Mm. Um, that was up there um, <laughs> with Boris's in terms of, you know, just giving crooks uh, mm. honours. <laughs> and, you know, Marcia Forkender, Harold's mistress, dictating who goes into the House of Lords. Not good. Not, not great. And that was 50 years ago. So you, I, one mustn't be too rose-tinted. Mm. Um, and, the, I mean, the good thing about sort of um, being 
part of a magazine, it's got a long history of doing this stuff, is, is you don't get too shocked and too disillusioned every time because there is a certain... You're just ground down. Yeah. No, it's not ground down. I mean, I, I saw a quote. It was from myself the other day, which I was. I thought that's very, very good. That's so astute. Yeah. That's so good. Someone said to me, he said, um, you know, people who um, work in uh, at private eye must must be very, very um, uh, sort of uh, must be very jaded." And I said, "No, no, I started off jaded. That's that's why I went to work." <laughs> um, which I thought was a better, yeah, nice, a better. So I no, I mean. I think you you get a sort of optimism by saying, um, yes, it's quite bad, but it has been bad in the past and there are times when it isn't so bad. And can you imagine how bad it would be if no one cared? Mm. No, that's true. So that that's my good goodwill message at Christmas, uh, is it would be terrible if you lot didn't carry on looking at it. Yeah, keep staring. Yeah. Keep, keep looking, there's power, I guess, there's conviction in that. Yeah, the, the transparent bit is true. Mm. Um, the bit everybody hates is when you see exactly what they're up to. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned strike action and doctors. Yeah. Junior doctors have just announced, um, I think it's going to be nine days over the next couple of months, more strike action going on. Yep. Um, should we be surprised that they failed to reach an agreement with the government? I mean, broadly speaking, I think nurses, teachers, deals have been struck there. The RMT yeah. have come, have have backed off now as well. I think there's train strikes today, actually. That's Aslev. Yeah, so. Aslev. Uh, I think they do it on a sort of like tag wrestling, isn't it? Mm. It's the RMT. No, it's Aslev. <laughs> uh, two months later. Oh, we're back. <laughs> one, two, one, two. Um, why do you think it is that the, the junior doctors are still, still hold, holding out? Why do you think they're one of the sort of last few that haven't reached a settlement with the government? Um, I think it's because they, they were the most annoyed at their treatment. And I think the last time we spoke, I mean, I, I, I th again, I was, was hopelessly radical, but I suggested, <laughs> I suggested negotiations might be a good idea with some of these strikes rather than just not meeting people. Mm. Um, and most of the deals that have been come to by the end of the year could have been come to last year. Um, and it's good, it's great. Um, but <laughs> the trouble with the, the, the junior doctor strike, and they're not junior, most of them, which is a ridiculous misnomer, yeah. you're, you're junior until you're about 70, as far as I can see in the health <laughs> service, and then you retire. Uh, <laughs> it, it's that um, uh, the nurses settled for much less. And obviously the nurses are quite cross about the idea of a deal going higher and the Scottish deal was, was lower than this. And I, I still think they're not going to get it. Mm. Historic restitution, what, 35% they wanted to start with? I don't think the country's generally in a mood to give anyone 35%, really. It's ambitious, uh, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, you know, as you know, I'm, I am broadly sympathetic and, um, uh, and I do think they, they've fallen behind very badly, but I just think that isn't going to happen mm. uh, in, in any real world. And I think uh, um, even a Labour government even <laughs> the next Labour government yes, uh, will not be coming in and saying the first thing we're going to do is offer one sector of the NHS 35%. Mm. It's not going to happen. So uh, what, they, I mean, what they can't afford to do is for everyone to think, well, we were talking earlier about the effect of the personal. You know, the nurses are fantastic and I had this incredible treatment and we had this incredible treatment. And then say, 
but hang on, this bit of the NHS is still out, mm. and it's still, what's what what is what is happening here? Mm. Um, I don't think that's sustainable. No, I don't think so. And those waiting lists will just keep getting longer and longer, won't they? Yeah. Um, you mentioned the, dis- the disparity there between Scotland, which I'm going to try and hammer a segue towards. Nicholas, that, <laughs> Good, it's like the one show, come on. Yes, exactly. Like, um, Go on, do it. Nicola do it. Sturgeon's <laughs> resignation in February, uh, which also <laughs> happened in Scotland. Um, yeah, that's great. <laughs> so, first of all, what do you think the political consequences of that departure are? Do you think the SNP, which I would probably have described as a bit of a cult of personality, both around her actually and around Alex Salmond, yeah. do you think it can continue now without her as part of it? And also, perhaps... Uh, what criminal what criminal investigation do you think comes a useful face when his time as <laughs> first minister of Scotland comes to an end? Because they've got a pretty good track record now. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I did think it was funny because I think last time I was here, I was thinking, oh, oh, America, can you believe it? I mean, they've got their senior politicians actually arrested. How how you know pathetic are they? And then we're thinking, oh dear, <laughs> the entire political class of Scotland have been helping the police with their inquiries. So. Um, that, that, you know, serves me right, really, being a bit <laughs> smug about it. Um, <laughs> I think it changes everything. Um, and I think there were... Nicola Sturgeon was not only a cult of personality in Scotland, but it also outside Scotland. It gave a lot of people in opposition in England mm. a chance to say, oh, if only we had someone as brilliant as Nicola Sturgeon. Um, and... Uh, uh, it's because everything's hopeless uh, here and uh, we, we, we need this wonderful sort of system they have in Scotland. And Scottish people would say, well, have you heard about the ferry scandal? You know, yeah. we still haven't got two boats. <laughs> We've got one. <laughs> After eight years. Does it have, a win- does it have windows? They're painted no, on. No, Don't worry about it. it on. Uh, so <laughs> there were a lot of people and they criticised the education system, which, you know, it takes a long time for news to get through. Drug, um, drug deaths. Drug deaths, you know, all of that, mm. which was pretty, pretty poor. Um, and so a lot of that got brushed under the carpet by people saying, oh, we hate Boris and we think Nicholas Sturgeon is marvellous. Well, it turns out uh, she wasn't marvellous. Um, and uh, the set of excuses that the leadership... I don't want to, um, I don't want to get myself up on a contempt charge. Uh, yeah. Having been warned repeatedly in my career this... <laughs> This is not a good idea. People, you're often you're often introed as the most sued man in in England, aren't you? Yes, I mean that is that true? That it was true. It it's not true now because you know the libel um, uh, business largely collapsed, and all the lawyers now do um, confidentiality, mm. privacy, um, <laughs> and reputation management, mm. um, reputation engineering, engineering. Yes, <laughs> um, and. That's where all the hassle comes, mm. um, and so I, you know, I do spend a lot of time still with lawyers. But it's they're much cleverer now. The libel laws changed everything, and the internet. You know, people, are, as you know, are much happier to libel each other openly. Um, I mean, I was going to start off by saying hello, pedo, uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, then I thought, no, maybe. Maybe I won't do that. Maybe that's not fair. The great test for us now is whether or not we'll include that in the video. Can, yes. can, can we do you for libel if we publish it ourselves is, is an interesting one, actually. Yeah. Well, no, <laughs> feel, feel free to cut it out. I'm just being childish. Uh, I actually quite liked it, to be honest with you. Um, but that, as, as you can do, people are... They, I mean, it's very difficult to police the internet and lawyers don't do it much, so yeah. people get away with much more. So libel's become... Um, much more sort of diffuse. People don't tend to do it. And partly they don't do it because 
they're much more effective ways of doing it, which is to shut people up long before publication. Mm. You know, the slap business, um, those orders coming in, stopping things. And people saying to us, you know, we say, well, you've been awarded this government contract and um, you don't seem to um, have any competitors <laughs> and you've taken £8 billion profit and you haven't delivered anything. And they go, it's confidential, we can't possibly... <laughs> comment on this and then you're expected that's meant to be the end of the oh, story very good yeah <laughs> of course naturally. yeah absolutely we'll go home now and write something else and those are the issues now um or you write something about someone and say um well that's that's um that's my private business and mm. saying it's not terribly private is it while you're up to, oh yes no and very very um it will badly affect the mental health of many of my illegitimate children uh, <laughs> if you point out to any of them. Uh, and you just think, I, I. so those, those, that's much more than libel nowadays. It's one of the, I think, most appealing things about Britain for the kind of oligarchs, the, the, the autocrats, etc., who house their assets in this country, right, yeah. in London, whether they're, they're, they're Russian, whoever, and it's not just Russians, right? It's the... The, the the private school system in and around London, the the legal system which allows them because people you know there's a huge amount of debate always about endlessly free speech cancel culture etc. Yeah, yeah. We actually have one of the most restrictive I would say you know in terms of maybe not libel is how you describe it anymore but certainly the sort of the lawyering of free speech it's very advanced in this country and and it's one of the things I think that makes it most appealing to people who have things to hide, yeah. to bring their assets here, to buy property here or to live here, yeah. because they can cover up their wrongdoing more effectively than they could, let's say, in America. But there's been a very good you know, couple of years um, in terms of the movement against it. And, um, uh, you know, this, this is going to hurt, but David Davis, the Tory MP, has been incredibly good on this. Mm. <laughs> um, and whatever his views about Brexit, um, uh, we can all get over it. And he's fantastic. You must have got over it by now. Otherwise, you're like Dominic Cummings would say, you're one of those Japanese holdouts, right? On an island just by yourself, fighting a war that's long past. Coming out of the jungle going, (laughs) have we rejoined yet? (laughs) (laughs) No, Um, but I mean, he he has been terribly good and they have been very, very good. mm. um, You know, that uh, um, anti-slap movement in terms of making people aware that it won't do to have London as a place where you can shut down books and articles and it's it's always about money mm. you know it's it's this is what this is about it's about where this money is where it goes and what it's used for hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter that's why i teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create pretty litter its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80 percent less than clay litter Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Get out of my pub! It's the politics show. Cast. Also, 
fairly good uh, bit of positive recent news. It's um, the High Court ruled that it was reasonable to call Ian Duncan Smith Tory scum. So you know that's that's a good bit. Was of it really? There. Yeah. Now he's he he's mentioned in um, Nadine Doris's book. Is he? Yes. Um, and he's one lover of the f- fighter. No, he's he's one of the few people that doesn't have a code name. And I think that's because nobody knows who he is. <laughs> <laughs> Quite possibly. It is a code name. Um, okay. What, what have you had hassle for this year? What's been difficult in the private offices? Where's there, where's there been some controversy? Well, I mean, covering um, domestic politics is never as difficult as covering foreign wars. Um, and there's a point at which saying, well, you know, at what point is war, death, famine, plague, you know, how funny are they? For a satirical magazine, you have to cover them, you have to make points if you think there are points. So Mm. um, that continued. And the Middle East has been uh, a recurrent, um, you know, sort of, uh, I'm going to say minefield, but Mm. it is, uh, you know, throughout the eye's history. And... uh, this Gazan war was no exception. Um, and so uh, um, I put a, a, a cover on, which was a text cover, um, which, again, offended a lot of people, including um, uh, some of my friends and uh, 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 some other people. But I think in this was the, um, the warning about... The magazine may contain some criticism of the Israeli government and may suggest killing everyone in Gaza as revenge for Hamas atrocities may not be a good long-term solution to the problems of the region. Yeah, and that infuriated some people. Um, Some of our readers said, what, you've stated the bleeding obvious. Uh, And now, I mean, X weeks later, I think that text is exactly what American foreign policy is. Uh, (laughs) So I'm now pretty much lining up with Israel's major ally. So I, I do think there was a real overreaction. And the word Hamas atrocities appears on the front cover. Yes. It is not unbalanced. Mm. And it doesn't, it says the Israeli government, it does not say Israel. So I was, I mean, I don't print things. I don't print things I haven't thought about. Really? Yeah. Uh, and I had thought about that. And that's what I wanted to print. And um, I you know, I didn't retract it, but um, it was very uncomfortable. And the there was pressure to retract it. Oh, a lot of people said, you know, you should apologise. You should um, put something else in. And I just said, well, you you must look at the rest of the magazine. <laughs> you must look at what what we run. Mm. Um, and you know, we um, um, if you look over the course of the year, there is a, a piece about how grim it is. Um, to have Hamas as your government uh, and a, a very long list about their historical uh, record. Mm-hmm. Um, internally, there are pieces about some of um, the Arab neighbours whose, whose generosity and love of the Palestinian people is not terribly convincing. Limited. I mean, <laughs> sorry? Limited. I limited. Mean, limited. It yes, yeah. yes, somewhat limited. So, I mean, attempting, I mean, this goes back earlier, to, to, to try and find... Um, uh, something to say that is is um, measured, balanced, whatever, but still, you know, we are a satirical magazine. Exaggeration is part of it. Mm. Um, and attempting to, to make a point is part of it. So, no, it, it continues to be incredibly difficult. 
Um, but uh, um, I think that's that's sort of incumbent upon us. But so that 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 was that was fairly hard. But I mean, I mean, not compared to you know living in North London and being Jewish and being very frightened, no, or course. living in Gaza and thinking um, I'm going to die. Yeah, you know, being in the media trying to think of something to say is not. It's not that bad, really. Yeah, of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> I would say. I, the, the, th the thing about it that was, I think, the reason why it was so powerful, right, is because as, as if, you, if you interpreted it as a literal statement, what can you argue with? You know, yeah. it's, it's, and as a result, the, the, the level of provocation and the level of outrage from what you would think was a truism, what you would think is just taken as rote, right? it becomes as much a commentary about the British media and the analysis and discussion of what's going on as it as as much as it is about the merits of the statement itself that you're putting on the front page. Yeah. And, you know, I've, I've no time for people who, you know, go on marches and have pictures of hang gliders no, um, of course, on yeah. their back or uh, uh, organisations that used to be prescribed in Britain and I would prescribe again <laughs> uh, being allowed to go on the fringe of the march and, and um, try and inflame it. But, mm. you know, the, a very large number of people went on those marches whose desires are, I think, um, uh, for a solution and peace and they are not there. I mean, to have, uh, you know... Uh, the Home Secretary talking about a hate march um, is pretty offensive to a large number of people Absolutely. on it. Yeah. Um, and to then incite a literal hate march, you know, the following weekend, right, at the Cenotaph. Yeah, well, if, if, you, if, you, if the people are most vocal in your support are Tommy Robinson and his mates around the Cenotaph, and again, we try... <laughs> again, I did try and point this out a couple of other times, you know, this was a march on Armistice Day, and technically the meaning of Armistice is, is a period where you, you put down your arms, which you could translate as a ceasefire. Uh, Certainly, yeah. That's one so, interpretation, yeah. Um, and, you know, the end of the First World War and the end of, of many subsequent wars were not, not huge triumphs mm. uh, for anyone. Um, they were an end. Uh, and so... Um, Again, it, I mean, it is very difficult to try and try and make sense because it's a fantastically complex and nuanced um, historical problem, and there's not a great deal of history taught, mm. uh, and nuance isn't very popular at the moment, particularly not on social yeah. media. So, it's um, fashion, yeah. uh, those two things were were not very useful. This obviously is a huge point of, uh, of conversation, right? But the way I, it's always fascinated me that the thing that looms large, particularly on Armistice Day and uh, on remembrance, I feel that the First World War occupies more of a space in our national consciousness than the Second World War. Mm. And I, I put that down to the tragedy of it. I put that down yeah. to the tragedy of the Somme, um, of Passchendaele, of Ypres, of, you know, take your, take your battlefield, take your, your combatants, the, the, the horror of the mass slaughter, right? Yeah. And that I would associate them with Remembrance Day, the sort of the sense of shame about the way that that war was conducted, the sort of the blithe arrogance of the way that those oftentimes boys were commanded and sent out to their deaths. And on those days, that's what I think about, right? Mm. I, th I think about the, the horror and the shame around it. And in, maybe it's recent, maybe I'm just doing that thing again where I'm slightly younger, so I think, well, back in the day it wasn't like this, but the sort of the fetishizing of the poppy, 
of remembrance and that instead of it being this very somber, sad moment, it instead becomes an opportunity to project your own and, 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 and analyze the patriotism of others. Mm. And I feel like that was the undercurrent with the, with the Suella stuff and the march and then mobilizing the far right. It wasn't about humble respect of the fallen because otherwise they wouldn't be... No, it was nothing to do with it at all. Um, and uh, I agree. I mean, I, I'm obviously very obsessed by the First World War and I wrote a play about it and I, I did a series of documentaries about it and I find it incredibly poignant. And I, I, I'm really interested by, you know, the 1920s in Britain, you know, most people had lost someone. Um, it, the, the casualties were staggering. Um, and someone once described Britain as being under a cloud of mourning for a decade. <laughs> and it, you can't understand the jazz age or, or the explosion of, God, can we find something to be happy about? You, none of that makes sense mm. unless you remember just how enormous this event was. And again, I don't, I don't have this with the poppy. I mean, I wear a poppy and I'm very... Um, very keen to do so, and, and um, but you know at various points um, there was a, a veterans march um, on Armistice Day where they all, um, because of unemployment, they all threw their poppies away and put their um, uh, uh, doll tickets in there, and then they marched on various town halls. Mm. I mean there was a wonderful event where in uh, um, one of the northern cities. <laughs> uh, the uh, council had organised a, a big um, Remembrance Day dinner and not invited any veterans. Uh, and the veterans, you know, this won't surprise you. So the veterans had turned up, smashed in the window of a piano shop, taken a piano out and started playing We'll Keep the Home Fires Burning and then set fire to everything. Um, so I shouldn't laugh at this. this. This is a sort of Remembrance Day event. Mm. Uh, by people who were there, yeah. who were very cross, mm. the way they'd been treated when they came home. So, um, as you know, I'm very boring about it, but I just think the more history you know, yes. the more you have a chance not to make stupid generalizations <laughs> that don't mean anything. There's, a, there's a, yeah, a, strong, a strong strain of that radicalism and, and obviously pacifism as well, of having experienced the horrors of war, yeah. to say, never again, you know. The Second World War was um, extraordinary in that it was an incredibly reluctant war. Mm. Um, there was the declaration of war in the First World War had young men running about, overexcited, joining up, um, sort of young women kissing everybody in sight, everyone saying, this is going to be marvellous. Uh, the First World War, uh, the Second World War, you know, the church bells rang, the Archbishop of Canterbury said, I can't believe we're doing this. Uh, the politicians said, we don't want to do this. Nobody... Nobody wanted to do this, which made it a completely different type of war. Mm. Um, and uh, the way it was conducted was different. And, and it was just... Um, and I think that's partly why, and partly why, because um, uh, by the end of the Second World War and certainly after the uh, discovery of, of the camps and the Holocaust, this became a justifiable war as a, as a concept. And the First World War... No one, <laughs> no one could really do that at the time, because mm. uh, even the victory seemed very hollow. There are people who still still argue the opposite, right? That actually that there wasn't a certainty that it had to happen, and that the whole thing could have been been avoided, right? This yes, and and again in the uh, there was a very the description of of Armistice Day in the trenches, which we, my friend Nick and I used in the play. It was just of 
they stopped it dead. And these two young officers, uh, Roberts and Pearson, who we wrote about, looked at each other and said, is that it then? <laughs> and then they shook hands and then they told the men to get down just in case the guns <laughs> on the other side didn't uh, keep happening. And everyone was just quiet, thinking, right, no, no march to Berlin then. No, no, that's it. We're going home now. Right. How's that? So, it, I mean, it is... What was the, it all for? Sorry, yeah. What was it all yeah. for? Um, and, I mean, in the end, so often these things, you know, I'm, I'm very moved by what they went through, I'm moved by what they did, I'm moved by their, their commitment, I'm moved by that generation, really, mm. um, and their innocence and, and their, their extraordinary fortitude and, and, uh, and uh, you know, also, it's why... We wrote this play, The Wipes of Time. Sorry, this is just getting off. No, but just please. It was a, a trench magazine, which yeah. was um, a satirical trench magazine produced on the front line at Ypres by these two uh, brilliant young officers. And, and they had a sergeant who'd been a printer in the war, produced this fantastic thing. And they just, they were so funny. I mean, they had an advert in the first issue, which said... Um, uh, we're offering a taxi service because, um, you know, obviously you want to get home. Uh, and um, we're running a fleet of taxis. They've got a big red cross on them. So uh, if you need to get home, uh, just shout for one. 1916. Yeah. I mean, that's their joke. And these, these are men who are risking their lives, you know. Where, anyway, I'm very... Um, where'd they get the press from? Sorry? where did they get the press? They found it. It was abandoned. Um, in Ypres, they found it in the basement. They were looking for salvage. They were a pioneer division. Mm. Uh, and they went in, and they were about to smash it up. Uh, and the printer said, no, this, this works. I could make this work. And being British officers, instead of saying, so what, they said, we could produce a satirical <laughs> magazine right here. <laughs> Away we go. Um... We're coming towards the end of our time, Ian. Although it feels That's like I'm talking about the First World War. It's enormous no. length. It feels like we should. It feels like that should be a separate conversation, perhaps another time. Um, let's just let's talk about the coronation then. Yes, before, yes, before we, coronation. Before we wrap things up, um, man in hat sits on chair. Yeah. <laughs> uh, again, we occasionally do these text covers, but it did seem to me that when you get that much coverage of anything, it's incumbent on us. <laughs> to point out what's actually happened mm -hmm. and and that's what it was and he he sat on the chair <laughs> there's there's part of my part of me is inclined to 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 think that way right i'm i'm a republican i you know i'm sort of slightly put off by the whole thing and then i saw i actually i watched it and i didn't think i would it was that or i think it was the emoji movie on channel 5 or i think with the with the two options right. so i yeah. went for the coronation and i did actually find it quite um instructive fascinating that you're sort of watching this the abstract the abstractions of the british constitution come phys become physical and for yeah. one day you see the you know everyone's there everyone stood there and the the, the order and why they, why does this happen and you know no we won't be able to reuse any of the footage now but hugh edwards sort of intoning saying well and that's so and so and that's why they're there and this yeah. all this and i actually found it quite quite fascinating in a way i didn't expect to i thought i was going to be quite put off by the whole thing well, I mean, I, I'm a constitutional um, monarchist and, and I get more so the more I look at our politicians. <laughs> and I'm I think an absolutist. Quite, yeah, it's quite, <laughs> quite useful having that here. Um, 
And um, obviously, I mean, I, I love all of that stuff. Mm. Um, and I love the fact that almost every bit um, of, of that flummery has been put in by some group in the past in order to keep the monarchy in order. Um, uh, and you think, well, why, why, why have we got people from the Scottish Church there? Because they insisted at the time. <laughs> <laughs> and they said the second thing he has to say is about Scotland. Yeah. And that's it. There is no choice. They poured that ginormous stone down, the yeah. stone of destiny. Yeah. It's there. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, I, I, was, I love the second verse of the national anthem. Because we say, oh, people say, oh, why are we saying God save the king? Um, and then the second verse goes, may he preserve our laws and ever give us cause, and there's a huge, and if he doesn't, we'll kill him. Uh, uh, it's fairly straightforward. Uh, he's only there on sufferance. Um, and there are laws, they're not his. Uh, and you just think, oh, right. I mean, quite a lot of this stuff is there in order to make sure the man who sits on the chair and waves and, and wears the hat does just that mm. and no more. Doesn't get any ideas? No. And then the rest of the service, I mean, it was a fantastic new anthem at the beginning. Um, was it Macmillan? I think. And I thought, and yeah, I'm very serious. I love that. I thought the music was absolutely fabulous. I thought the sense of humour, putting Harry behind um, this enormous <laughs> feather on his sister's head was incredibly funny. Um, <laughs> that made me laugh a lot. Uh, the fact that he has a giant oven glove that he sort of puts... I mean, the, Penny Morden with that sword. Penny Morden with the sword. Fabulous. Straight out of his Greek costume drama. Mm. Um, Game of Thrones, really, yeah. wasn't it? It was. And it was also, again, I mean, it's sort of... It's the sword in the stone. The person who pulls the sword out is the leader, and she clearly thought, <laughs> I am King Arthur. <laughs> I am King Arthur. But sadly, it, well, it hasn't gone her way yet. Not yet. But, you know, I'm... my. One of my favourite writers is Alan Bennett, um, who was part of the original big 60s movement, you know, and he wrote Beyond the Fringe and Endless Brilliant Plays. And he once said he was sitting writing in his study and he heard the rehearsal for a trooping of the colour, you know, the, the regiments when the late Queen there preparing. And he said, um, I thought to myself, how incredibly silly and ridiculous. And then he said, and then I realised I had a lump in my throat. <laughs> And I feel the same about it. It mm. makes me laugh and I find it all strangely reassuring. Mm. I mean, on the coronation day, I went to one of the Hyde Park where they've got the huge thing and, uh, um, and you could watch it on television. It was peeing with rain and there was an absolutely vast turnout of people. And I thought, oh, well, what, what do we think about the British public? So the King Queen come and then they cheer. Um, there's a shot of Andrew at the side, the entire crowd starts booing. And I think this is brilliant. Mm. This is why I like the British public. <laughs> you know, because they do nuance and they do, we like that. No, we don't like that. <laughs> We're not taking the package. We're not going to be told. Mm. Um, and if we want to come out in the rain and cheer, we're not going to cheer everyone. He can do the Greek flag on the tie. But if, oh, he, yes. does, if he does any more than that, we'll start. We'll start yeah, yeah, no, problems. no. And again, there was... During the Braverman period, I'm sorry to be boring about it, but it's just she was talking about disrespect and um, uh, uh, crowds protesting. And I thought, when George III opened Parliament, 
he was met by a mob of people who threw turds at him. <laughs> I mean, we don't have an enormous history of respect mm. <laughs> <laughs> in this country. We have got quite a long history of open protest. Mm. Um, and almost, I think it's worth remembering. Always. Yeah, and it's perhaps a sign of where we are that, you know, the, the sort of quite restrained and, and moderate dissent that we have in this country is now viewed as kind of something quite extreme because it's very, it's very distant from those protests that you mentioned in the past. It is, and, and a Public Order Act which suggests that most protests should take place in the Orkneys um, <laughs> on a weekday mm. at 11 o'clock in order not to inconvenience anyone. That's, that's not really the point of protest. It's not. <laughs> Ian Hislop, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.